Hello and welcome to the Narrowboat Podcast. My name is Lydia and this is a series of conversations between me and other individuals or companies who have taken to the water. Every person who has bought or even rented a boat has a story and I want to hear them. So if you live on a boat or are looking to buy a boat, maybe you photograph boats or work on boats, maybe you're just interested in alternative lifestyles. Well, this podcast is for you, but it could also be about you. So send me an email at narrowboat.podcast at gmail.com if you're interested in getting involved. In this episode, I'm speaking to Karis from Wild and Freedom on Instagram. Karis lives on her boat with her partner, Tommy, five-year-old son, Ted, and the little dog, Jim. She's been taking big steps towards a more sustainable life since living on water, but also a more value-driven one too. I'm really excited to chat to her today, so let's jump straight into it. Hi, Karis. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. No worries. So first of all, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah. So as you said, I live on the boat with my partner, Tommy, and our five-year-old son, Ted. He's literally just turned five and started school properly this week. And our little old dog, Jim, as well. So we're continuous cruisers on the boat. So obviously that means that we need to move around every couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. We always stay within a certain kind of patch because Tommy works in Banbury um, and Ted obviously now goes to school in a little village just outside of Banbury as well. So we're continuous cruisers, but we've got kind of a regular patch that we cover. Yeah, I really want to get into your decision to to send Ted to school instead of homeschooling and things like that. Maybe mm-hmm. a bit later on. So, what is it that you and Tommy do for work? Uh, so, Tommy is an electrician um, in a big coffee plant in Banbury. Banbury, if anyone knows it, is really well known for smelling of coffee. And that is basically oh, really? that's where he works. He's literally been there since he left school. Um, so, years and years now. Um, and I run my own career coaching business. Amazing. Must be quite useful to have an electrician on board. Yeah, although you know how chefs don't like cooking at home, <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> Doesn't like to bring his work home with him. No. <laughs> nightmare, nightmare. One of my friends who lives on a boat, um, her boyfriend is a plumber and their bathroom was the very last thing to yeah. be finished. They put it <laughs> off for so long. <laughs> it's always the way, isn't it? It's very frustrating. <laughs> always the way. So you bought your boat almost a year ago, or was it pretty much exactly a year ago? September. It was the 23rd of August last year, so just over a year ago now. Amazing. So what kind of inspired you to do that? So I think I've always been a bit of a hippie at heart, really, (laughs) and a bit of a freedom seeker. And we just got to a point where we'd bought our house you know, we we just felt like we'd got on that conveyor belt. We'd bought the house, we'd got the dog, we'd had a baby, we got the kitchen redone, which meant borrowing loads more money. Tommy was working horrible shifts, um, which just basically almost gave him a nervous breakdown. And we were just on that treadmill, you know, have more, need more, work harder, and all of that kind of stuff. And then I was made redundant when I was pregnant with Ted. So when I went wow. Back- harsh yeah, yeah that was handy um so it was quite good in a way because it meant I had longer with Ted so I was off with him until he was 14 months which was amazing and then when I went back to work I went obviously to a new job and I think maybe that was the start of us really thinking about other options because I became I was really unhappy 
because I was quite bored in my job, to be honest. You know, I think in hindsight, the job just wasn't for me. It was too desk bound. It was too admin heavy. And that's just not me. But they were a really great company, really flexible with family stuff. So it just seemed like the ideal thing to do. But because Ted never really settled going to nursery, he was always upset in the mornings. And then, you know, I felt like I was going off to do a job I didn't really love to leave my crying baby in the hands of other people. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, we were just felt like we were doing that whole juggle, living for the weekend, feeling guilty about not spending enough time together and trying to cram everything into the weekends. Yeah. We just got to a point where we just felt like that lifestyle was really not working for us and was just going to get worse. And we just, we used to walk along the canal a lot because we lived near there anyway. Mm. And we, you you know, one conversation just led to another. And then we made a friend um, whose parents lived in the village that we lived in. And we got chatting to her. She lived on a boat and had a family on a boat. And so we got more information from her. And that was quite a key turning point for us when we became more interested in it. Because, because it was doable, you know, because she had a family on a boat and she was doing yeah. it and really happy and everything she said sounded really appealing. So we started looking into it more and more. We were having a little mooch around in Marina one day and we met another family who invited us onto their boat. So they were doing it as well with their kids. Yeah. And then the final thing was, we because we'd never been on a boat before, we'd certainly never <laughs> taken one out. Um, so we went for a little weekend holiday on a narrow boat, which we didn't even take the boat out. It was just a holiday where you could go and stay on it. You could take it out in the summer, but you couldn't in the winter. So we just mm. went to stay on it to see how we would find the space factor. And yeah. we just loved it. And we literally, after that weekend, we put the house on the market. That's brilliant. Mm. So you managed to sell the house and then were you just able to buy the uh, buy the boat out of your, yeah. what you got out of that? Yeah, it was crazy. We put the house on the market on like a a Thursday. We had like two viewings on a Saturday. They both offered on Monday. Like the ha- wow. And then the house sale went through really quick. It was just completely mental. God, that kitchen renovation did you well then? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'll tell myself to make it worthwhile, that that, that made the house more sellable. Um, so we sold it really quickly. And yeah, we literally, our boat was 45,000 and that was almost exactly how much we got out of the house yeah. so we just we were able to buy the boat out right which is which is what was important to us because we wanted to be financially free yeah definitely I mean what a difference you know going from a mortgage to suddenly only really having to pay your CRT license I, mean, I know it's crazy. crazy so how big is your boat so it's 70 foot wow went for it yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it does feel big when we're cruising it as well I imagine, yeah. I've n- I don't even know if I've been on a on a seventy foot. I think maybe sixty may have been the biggest, mm. and they just go on and on forever. And that is literally what anyone says when they come around. They're just like, "Oh my god, this just keeps going." Yeah, amazing. All right. So speaking of just the space, then let's talk about the space that you've made for little Ted, mm. because uh, I know he's got a pretty brilliant bedroom on your boat. Yeah, he has, I think, especially for a boat bedroom. He's got quite a lot of space, really. So the boat originally had two bathrooms. It had a little bathroom next to Ted's room. But the people before us had already kind of ripped it out and they were using it as a little bit of a walk-in wardrobe. Right. So um, what we then did was just rip the walls out and opened it up so that Ted had got a lot more space. And then we got um, a mid-sleeper bed 
which is the ones that kind of look a bit like a bunk bed, but there's no bottom bed. So he's got quite yeah. a high up bed and then he's obviously got room underneath it for loads of toys and that kind of thing. So it's yeah. in terms of like comparing it to a house bedroom, it's probably a bit bigger than a box room would be in a house. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I mean, you just you don't really think that everyone will be able to have their own little space on a boat like that, really. And Ted's got a, a lovely space right in the middle, loads yeah. of space for his toys. He's, I saw he's got one of those IKEA kitchens that you can play yes. with. They're good fun. Yeah. So yeah, gotta love those. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So um, so what is it like then having a little one on the boat? It was stressful when we first moved on because he's really confident. And if you ask him if he can swim, he'll say yes, but he can't. <laughs> so he, he, even when we were going to look at boats, he was just, because we, we had a little look around um, an actual boat sales yard to begin with, just so we could go on loads of different boats and look at the layouts and stuff. And he was just running up and down the little jetties. I don't know the what pontoon. you call them pontoon like the pontoon yeah he was just legging it up and down and jumping onto the boats and I was nearly having a nervous breakdown (laughs) um and then since we've moved on the boat again he is overconfident and when we're cruising and we're doing locks and stuff and he's just jumping on and off as and when he feels like it it is a little bit stressful but he has now fallen in once which I think is kind of needed yeah Yeah. and we we kind of said before that we kind of needed to orchestrate a safe fall just to sort of teach him that this is what happens if you run around and he was just he was running up and down the boat and then he decided to go out the back door and there was a bit of oil actually on the back of the boat where Tommy had topped up the oil and he slipped Mm. and he went straight in luckily we weren't we weren't cruising we were still um yeah and he just clung onto the edge immediately but he didn't yeah. have his life jacket on because we weren't going anywhere you know we were just on the boat yeah. and um unfortunately I can't just make him wear his life jacket all day every day yeah, so. yeah. bit of a wake-up call then <laughs> yeah but other than that it's fine I mean in terms of the actual space on the boat it genuinely doesn't I don't really feel like it feels any different from being in a house you know he's his toys yeah. are everywhere but that was the same in a house we do encourage him to just get one thing out at a time if he's coming into the living area with his toys. But other than that... Sure, every parent would like to have that rule. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's it, exactly. It's not actually that different from being in the house. Yeah. Did you have any other concerns when you were thinking about it before you'd actually bought a boat? Probably just that he would like it and he wouldn't feel like the odd one out with his friends for doing something a bit different. And I will say that he... Even now, a year later, he still often will say, I miss the house. Really? Can't we live in a house again? So we do still have those conversations. And I, we, we've talked to him about it a lot. And I think recently we've come to the conclusion that it's because he actually doesn't like moving around that much. Right. Um, and he, he has said that he would be happier if we just had one place to call home, basically. So we are on the lookout for kind of an ideal permanent mooring waterside rather than in a marina yeah and um, we, we're just sort of sort of starting to have a look at those options we're not you know we're not desperate and from what I can gather it takes ages to find something anyway but we are just starting to see if there's anything out there yeah yeah but you don't go too far from where your sort of home base is at the minute do you, you sort of cruise between we kind of go between like Banbury and Napton maybe Stockton so it's like about a 
on the road it would probably be I don't know 15 miles maybe mm. 20 at the very most but during lockdown obviously everyone had to stay still on their boats there was no cruising yeah um, and he just loved it we had three months in the same space and he absolutely loved it yeah that's hard isn't it you know yeah. you've kind of taken on this life where you can be a bit more free and then mm. you know. so talking about uh staying around place then so you just mentioned earlier on that Ted is now starting school yeah or has just started probably he's just week. started yeah yeah so okay so what was your decision then when it came to getting him an education and um, obviously you sort of said that you, you stay in a similar area. So I suppose mm. it didn't really matter where you were on your stretch, you were still able to get him to his school. Yeah, it didn't really matter too much. Um, it was weird when we started applying because he went to the preschool that was attached, that's attached to the school that he went to now, that he goes to mm. now. And that was all, that was intentional. You know, we wanted him to go to a school where he would know some of the children but then it dawned on us that, oh, God, we live on a boat. What if he doesn't get into that school? We don't have a fixed abode. So it's, you know, you're applying for a school without an address. And so we then had to look at other schools. And then it was a bit like, oh, God, whereabouts do we look? You know, but we just we just chose some schools that we knew would be commutable from most places along the stretch of canal that we would be. Yeah, I'd love to know about that, actually, because I'm sure a lot of people who are raising kids or, or looking to raise kids on a boat would love to know, how do you apply for a school if you don't yeah. have a permanent address? Yes, good question. Well, apparently, and I didn't know this before, because some people had said to us, just put down someone else's address. And then there was loads of confusion over whether you would have to provide proof that you lived at that address. And yeah. so I phoned the school admissions. Um and they basically said, just be really honest on your application. Put where you are right now on the canal. Like when you fill the application form in, just say where you are and put some notes on there. And they will do their best to give you a position. Now, And because I knew that that school and actually a lot of the schools in our area are quite undersubscribed, I, I kind of knew we had a chance, but I really wasn't sure. And yeah, luckily, I mean, we were, it was his class is quite small. There's 14 in his class. So we were lucky, but I don't know what would have happened, you know, if, if it was in town in like Leamington or Banbury, where there's a lot higher demand, I have no idea what would have happened. I don't know whether yeah. we would have got in, in any of our first choices or not. I mean, I imagine that would be much more difficult. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just funny to think that you filled out this whole application and didn't have an address. It was just like yeah. uh, near, near Asda. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and the funny thing is, because we did, we were in Fenny Compton at the time, which is a little village just outside of Banbury. And there's a pub nearby on the main road called The Wharf. So literally when I filled out the application form, I would I just put our boat name on the canal near The Wharf. And they actually, um, the school sent a letter to me at the wharf I didn't know at they the were going to do it and luckily because the pub had live-in staff that had stayed there during lockdown they'd become quite friendly with all the boaters and were kind of checking yeah. everyone was okay and they knew where to find me so I managed I did actually get the letter so that's so funny <laughs> that's so funny was it ever a consideration of yours to put down a family member's address then like like a grandparent yeah. or something yeah because I use my auntie's address for a lot of our posts but she lives in Banbury and then and then I just thought, well, we probably won't get into the school anyway then because that's kind of 10 miles away. Yeah. So we're definitely not going to be 
on the top of the list for that. Whereas at least by being honest, I could say, well, the village that we had our house in was literally 10 minutes drive away. That's why we sent him to that preschool in the first place before we knew we were going to live on a boat. Mm. So they could hopefully kind of see the intention was always he went to that preschool so he could go to that school Mm. and we're staying local kind of thing. And I suppose it was never a consideration of yours to homeschool him. I did think about it a lot, especially because he was he never felt that comfortable going off to nursery or preschool. He would get quite upset when I was dropping him off. Although I am told that that was perhaps a little bit of a performance for me because he was fine once he was there. So I did think about it a lot. Um, but then I would say in the last year or so, I just felt like they grow up so quickly around that age. And I suddenly just felt like I would probably be quite out of my depth. And yeah. I, d- I didn't feel like it would benefit him, to be honest, to be homeschooled by me. Yeah, um, but I, I'm very interested in it, and I really admire people who who do go for that option. Yeah, I think the socialisation of it, getting yeah. him around other kids and confident around other kids as well. That's it, exactly. And I know there are loads of options because I did look into it, and there's loads of homeschooling groups, and it has become more and more popular. So you can get the social side of it, and the good thing is that they then mix with children of all different ages, which I think is really good for them. So I think yeah. it is. There are more opportunities, but yeah, it just didn't feel like the right decision for us, really. Yeah, yeah. So how do you handle Ted's sort of energy then on, on the boat? I saw that during lockdown you did some of the uh, the PE classes that you could get with the Joe Wicks PE classes. Yeah, yeah, he definitely does have loads and loads and loads of energy. I literally can't keep up with him. Yeah, he liked the Joe Wicks thing for a few days. I think the novelty wore off quite quickly. But I definitely have to make sure that I get him outside doing stuff, being really active all the time. And he's at that age now where he loves doing stuff with daddy. So, you know, they'll go off and chop wood together. And he just wants to be active all the time. He's He, will, he likes sort of painting and that kind of thing as well. But given the choice, he would much rather be outside running around and if you if he's inside for too long it's like he's got ants in his pants he just literally can't stay still so definitely lots of outdoor active time is needed yeah I don't know if you've ever watched uh sailing la vagabond on um on YouTube but they they live on a sailing yacht and they have a little boy who's two and they they often have to go to the beach with him like you know to land twice yeah. a day to let him just run around and let off steam yeah. otherwise he just becomes unbearable yeah. <laughs> what know? did you say that was called it's called sailing la vegabond sailing la, i'll have to look that up v-e-g-a-b-o-n-d i think okay so oh. it's a really big channel like even if you just put like sailing couple into youtube i'm sure it would come up it's oh, um, okay it's really massive it's really interesting they just there yeah, they live on a on a sailing yacht and recently were upgraded to like a catamaran uh, which is Mm. much bigger they have a two-year-old and um just so interesting dealing with like their seasickness that they've had ever since Mm -hmm. um you know they've had a baby and things like that and how you you deal with a toddler you know I can't even imagine dealing with like the nappies and things like that on a boat on a small boat I mean how do you think that would have been if you had a newborn on your boat Oh, yeah, I hadn't really thought about the nappies side of it. Um, I mean, I think in terms of having a newborn on a boat, it's fine. It's when they start wanting to run around everywhere. I think I can imagine kind of between sort of ages one and two and a half, three, I imagine that would be quite 
that would be the most challenging point, I think, because they do yeah. just charge around. Um, as for the nappies, hmm, yeah, you, I mean, you just have to make even more regular bin trips because obviously we, because we're continuous cruisers, there's no bin services. We just need to find where the nearest one is yeah. and take our rubbish, which to be honest, we usually do probably every other day anyway. But I think you just have to make it super frequent. <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. want to be nappies hanging around. Yeah. And you just got all, all those things when you have a, a really little baby where you've got clothes that are for every, you know, yeah. you've got the lots of three, the three to six, whatever. Yeah. You just have so much that you would need to store. Yeah. And then what do you what do you do about high chairs and you know, so changing tables you could just do it on the bed or yeah. you know, something like that. But there is so much equipment that comes into having a baby I just think how do people do it I know we did talk about it the other day like what would you what would happen if there was a baby in here and we were like well I think we'd have to get rid of our little dining table and just not and then we'd just maybe have those little fold-out tables so that you can just sit on the sofa and have dinner yeah so but I think there's always stuff that you can do isn't there and from what I can gather because I'm a member of um some like boating family communities on Facebook and stuff and I noticed that there are people asking about you know what's the smallest cot that I can get what can I do about this and there seems to be actually when you look around quite a lot of like innovative options options out there yeah so I think there's always there's always a way. How do you think it would have been being pregnant on a boat do you think that would have been quite claustrophobic or like anything like that you would have got stressed out? I think that being on the actual boat would have been okay. I mean, obviously cruising and because I normally do the locks, maybe that. Oh, do you? Yeah. So Tommy usually drives and I will do the locks. So obviously that would have been difficult. Um, uh, But I think the main thing is, and I would probably say this now as well, the hardest thing really that we found about living on a boat especially when you have a child and I think this would have been the same if I was pregnant is in the winter in the dark muddy towpaths it's raining you've got your shopping bags you've got a small child you've got a dog you're trying to like hold the torch to see where you're going then get on the boat without anyone slipping over and without literally just covering your boat in mud yeah I think it's that I think that would have been even more stressful yeah it's already quite temporary mooring can't you yeah and actually I think the CRT are pretty good if you're you know if you've just given birth or something sometimes they let you not move for a certain amount of time I've seen that on Instagram people yeah I think it's eight weeks around here that they let you stay for if you're pregnant if you're having a baby yeah yeah no I think they are quite quite lenient actually and even a friend told me that um, during lockdown when you weren't supposed to move there was one lady who was pregnant and they were supposed to be getting to their um, they had a permanent mooring set up near where their hospital was mm-hmm. and the CRT said yeah no by all means you can go and um, I think they needed to be on the Thames so they either needed a lock opening or something and mm. and they they completely allowed it you know mm. so they are quite lenient but, um, but yeah, yeah I, I think, think they're they're really good I mean when we first had moved onto our boat and we'd we bought it from rugby so we cruised it back from there and then that was when my dad passed away um and he was living in Spain so we had to go over I mean I'd literally gone back and forth he was poorly um and so we we had to contact the CRT then and they were just they were like just don't worry about it at all just do what you need to do they really didn't put any pressure on us at all so our boat had to kind of stay put for about four weeks yeah 
you mentioned your dad there and I saw on one of your early Instagrams, I think it might have even been the one where you announced that you bought a boat, that you said that your dad had maybe considered doing it once. Mm, as well. He did. Yeah. And I didn't know that until we were buying our boat and then he mentioned it then. But yeah, he um, used to own a pub um, when he and my mum were still together. They owned um, this amazing village pub. And then when my mum and him split up, he stayed in the pub for another few years. And then the recession hit in the 80s and he lost the pub, unfortunately. And he said at that point he was looking at getting a boat because it was a much cheaper option and it really appealed to him. But then I think someone he knew over in Tenerife offered him a, like a bar management job over there. So he ended up going there. Oh. Yeah. There you go. You've got, that. You've, got, you've got it in your genes then. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. So we were talking earlier on about your work. So you were working from home before we all had to, I suppose, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. I mean, I did mostly work from home. I was seeing clients face to face, obviously, prior to lockdown as well. I, I wasn't just sat on the boat all the time working, basically. I had like networking events, coaching forums. I would do coaching, walking, um, see my clients face to face, work from coffee shops, so although yeah. I work from home, I'm, I am out and about quite a lot. Usually, obviously, it was different during lockdown. Did you do that as an effort to sort of give you that headspace or was that just came with the nature uh, of your work? I need human connection and interaction. I couldn't just sit in the boat on my own working. I, I need that. Even just sitting in a coffee shop and not talking to anyone else, but there being people around me and just life around me. Mm. Um, and I work better like that as well. I'm much more productive. So it's nice sometimes to work from home if I've got something I really need to concentrate on or, you know, as long as it's not all the time, then it's lovely yeah. working from the boat. But I do find I need to factor in getting out and about quite a bit as well. Yeah, maybe that's where uh, Ted gets it from. <laughs> yeah, it is where he gets it from because as soon as he was born, I just used to take him out all the time every day. I never used to stay in the house. I've never been one to just sit in. And I yeah. know that's where he gets it from. As soon as he could talk, he would wake up in the morning and say, where are we going? Yeah. So made a rod for my own back there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So were you always doing career coaching or is that something you got into when you started working for yourself? Before running my own business, I was in HR and recruitment for nearly 10 years. Mm. Um, and then I trained to become a coach. And to start with, I was doing more sort of general life coaching. And then a little while into that, I had a client come to me who wanted career coaching just by chance. And I really enjoyed working with her. And I kind of felt like, oh, yeah, this really makes sense because of my previous experience in HR and recruitment. So I decided yeah. to focus my attention there. Um, so you have your Instagram called Karis Hughes Career Coaching. I know yeah. that you're focusing a lot of your attention there now rather than your Wild and Freedom page. Yeah. And uh, you share such lovely quotes and things often. So where do you find all those sort of inspirational things from? And, and what are some of your favourites? Maybe you could share some. Where I find them from is probably just reading books about that kind of thing or watching YouTube stuff. Yeah, that kind. that's kind of where I pick up those sort of things or the, or the people that I'm following as well. One of my favourites is by this guy called Benjamin Zander. And he was like a professor over in the States. I'm not actually quite sure whether he's still around anymore. But he's, he wrote this book called The Art of Possibility. 
and he he was basically um, a music lecturer and there's this quote in his book that I love so this is what it is so it says this student in a brilliant flash had hit upon the secret of life he had realized that the labels he had been taking so seriously are human inventions it's all a game so we might as well choose to invent something that brightens our life and the lives of the people around us which I just love that so much because I think it's so true we all go through life moving on to the next thing the next thing the next thing and it's not necessarily because we're trying to fit in it's just that you know that's what we do that's that's society that's kind of the way we've been brought up the people that we've been surrounded by it's what we think is the norm but actually if you just just look at things through a different lens or just take away those filters you can see that actually you can do anything you want just because most people do a certain thing doesn't mean it's the only way to do it yeah and it just really resonated with me as soon as I read that yeah you sort of introduced to me the the term of a value driven life or a values driven Mm. life Mm -hmm. so you know what does that mean to you and how can other people implement that into their own lives it's about really living your life more intentionally so I mentioned at the beginning that the reason we moved on to a boat was because we just got to a point where we felt like we'd kind of got on that treadmill. We were on that conveyor belt. We weren't really doing things very intentionally. We were just going with the flow and doing what we thought was the normal next step. And I think that's so often the case that you don't take the time to stop and think, what's actually really important to me? What Mm. is it that really lights me up when I'm doing that thing? We just don't take the time to ask ourselves those questions And that's what living a values living life is all about for me is being aware of who you are and really understanding the things that are really important to you and then building your life on those things. And it's not to say that you, that, you know, that doesn't mean you can have everything you want, but it just means that you make that your focus and you make your decisions based on those things and you move in the direction of those things, of the things that are important to you and kind of fill your life with those things. Yeah. So for you, moving onto a boat really allowed you to focus on your family life and things like that rather than worrying about money all the time and and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think I think my biggest value is freedom and that's financial freedom, inner freedom, time freedom massively as well. And that's what being on the boat has given me. So whereas before I was living a lifestyle which I feel maybe would have suited someone who values security and stability and there's nothing wrong with those things and I absolutely understand the benefit of having that in your life Mm. but that's not me I value freedom and adventure you know and it's and it's just about recognizing that and becoming aware of that and then kind of taking some scary steps to actually do something about it and live your life true to who you are really yeah this might be related, but I saw at one point you you got a dumb phone, or what we yeah. would call a, <laughs> a basic <laughs> phone. So so what was that all about? What what made you or what inspired you to do that? I just felt like, just the typical thing, really. I was just on my phone all the time. And mostly, it wasn't even really social media. I was Googling everything. Like any time yeah. I would think of something, I'd be like, oh, I'll just Google that quickly. I wonder what bloody blah is and it's like completely not important especially not based on what I'm doing in that moment it's just taking me away from the moment making me not be very present 
So that was why I decided to get the dumb phone. And then my plan was to kind of use my mobile as more of a tablet and have it at home so that I could use it for what I needed it for. Now, I will be completely honest. I found that a lot harder than I thought I would (laughs) because of things like Google Maps. Yeah, that would be my big one. Yeah, it's really tough. Like you really have to plan if you're not going to have Google Maps on your phone. When I lived in London, we had this thing called City Mapper. I'm sure you have it everywhere, Mm. but... And you use the buses a lot when you're there, but there's no way you can just know all of the buses in London. So you use City mm. Mapper and it says to you, you know, get on this bus at this bus stop and blah, blah, blah. And um, I just think I would have found it impossible to get around London without oh a smartphone. God. Yeah, I would find that really, really difficult. I've not heard of that before, but I feel like I would definitely need something like that as well. Yeah, And it, it is, yeah. it's that kind of thing and you become accustomed to it and you become used to it. And the idea of taking it away feels like such a massive inconvenience. Yeah. Um, so, but I still have the dumb phone. And I, what I'll do sometimes if we're going for family days out or whatever is I'll just take that with me. Only my close family members have got the number. So it's really just like if the car breaks down or if someone needs to contact me about something urgent, which is not even likely anyway. Um, or, you know, we need to suddenly call an ambulance for some bizarre reason. But I have, yeah. I've just recently topped it up again. And my plan now is at the weekends, if we're going out, that will be that would just be my phone at the weekends, basically. Yeah, it is a real security blanket, isn't it? Yeah. To have the the smartphone, and we just uh, we don't realise how much information is in our pocket there, and how much we abuse it. Yeah, and it's overwhelming, isn't it? When you like when you have access to all of that information all the time, it's like your mind is just constantly being filled with stuff. Yeah. And then we take pictures of absolutely everything. Oh my God. Totally. And I annoy myself doing that all the time. (laughs) Why do I feel the need to take a picture of everything? Yeah. It's like, maybe you can't really just enjoy the moment because you're too busy thinking, oh, stop there. I'm just going to get the phone out. (laughs) I know. And then you've got like 4,000 pictures on your phone in the end and you don't know what to do with them. And then that stresses you out because you've got to sit down and sort through them out. Yeah, you now have no space for all of your new stupid pictures. (laughs) I know, exactly. (laughs) And don't you find as well that if you go out and you forget your phone, you have like an initial 10 minutes of absolute panic. Panic. And then you're like, oh, this is quite nice, actually. Yeah, at first I feel like naked. Yes, like Absolutely. something's not right I feel very on edge you know? yeah 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 Definitely. So I don't know what what my body thinks is going to happen if I don't have it in my pocket <laughs> I know <laughs> I mean god forbid I'm at the train station for 20 minutes of no entertainment I you know. know well that's it exactly standing in a queue and not being able to like pick up my phone and mindlessly look at something is outrageous yeah yeah well you, you do find it when you're in a queue everyone is on their phone and if you're not you're the weird one yeah and sometimes I feel like you look up and you look around and you realize that everyone's on their phone in that kind of situation and I'm like firstly my thought is oh this is really sad and then I'm like oh I'm doing it as well (laughs) 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 you've also made a bit of a move towards a more sustainable life in terms of uh, well obviously living off grid and things I saw you've got Mm. some pretty snazzy new solar panels recently yeah yeah, we have. We're really pleased with them. We've literally gone from, so before we got the solar panels, because the people we bought the boat from, they were in a marina permanently. 
so they were completely hooked up to the mains that's how they got their power um uh, so when we first bought the boat we would have to run the engine twice a day for at least an hour each time to charge the batteries um and now that we've got the solar panels we literally only run the engine to move the boat every two weeks which is incredible now we did get them at the beginning like in the spring so the winter will be a little bit different they're supposed to work on light not not like heat so they should still be quite effective but whether we will need to start running the engine a little bit again i'm not sure but the fact that you don't have to run it for two weeks that is really incredible so how big are they do you know what wattage they are (sighs) yeah i'm not sure the boyfriend is the electrician yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it i'd have to ask him but they're bimble that's the company that we've got them from and we were really pleased with them as well they're a really good company to kind of use they're pretty big though. They cover pretty much your whole roof. Yeah, they cover a massive proportion of the roof. But they were yeah. just so worth it. We just feel like they were worth every penny. And what freedom to have to just think that you're not putting that those fumes into the, you know, yeah. into the system and you're just completely off grid running off solar. That's just that's yeah. really lovely. Definitely, because it did feel a little bit wrong for us that we were yeah. trying to do other little things to be more environmentally friendly but then we were running our engine twice a day and putting those fumes into the air and like affecting the wildlife potentially and I know when I walk past a boat with the engine running you're kind of a bit like oh sometimes that's not very nice yeah Um, yeah I think it's a big question that comes up like is living on a boat an eco-friendly solution and things like that and then there's lots of ways that it is and there's lots of ways that it isn't because as you say we are putting those fumes out every time we start our engines mm. and you know and our sinks just go straight out and our yeah. showers go straight out so yeah. you know there's a big thing whether you're using what my my dad calls duck friendly washing up liquid <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> and things it. like that so so true you're you're absolutely right and we're really we're very conscious about what we use um what products we use and what's going down the plug hole and just in general, I mean, I, I was kind of quite conscious of that before anyway, but we've definitely become more so since being on the boat because it's much more direct, isn't it? Like we all know that what we put down the sink is going into our water system, even if we live in a house. Yeah. But when you're in a boat, it's literally going into the water beneath you, into Very the obvious. and the duck's mouths potentially. Yeah, yeah. And it's <laughs> it can be quite a giveaway sometimes if you're doing, you know, something where maybe you've been painting and you need to clean your trays and mm. suddenly you've got a cloud all the way around your boat it's a real yeah. giveaway yeah, so it yeah. does make you much more conscious definitely but I saw you also make an effort to refill a lot of your products and things like that yeah well there's a really good shop in Banbury um which is called is it, um nothing but footprints and he opened a couple of years ago and started off with just a small selection in there and sort of didn't know how it was going to go but it's been so successful he stocks so much stuff now and so you can refill like all your kind of shampoo and shower gel and washing up liquid and all that kind of stuff and he's got loads of food in there as well now so loads of like your pulses and pasta and porridge and all the herbs and spices like he's really he wants it to be accessible for everyone. So he really price checks it against the main supermarkets to make sure that it's not extortionate. We've just had two shops pop up really in, in the village where my boyfriend's flat is as well. So it's not really a village. It's more of a, a town. But it's got a high street. So it shows there's demand for it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one shop is a real like eco warrior shop. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you can get all of your 
vegan supplements and things like that and the other mm-hmm. one is just more of a home shop but it's all you can get all of your refills and things and oh, yeah just good. to have two options for that in one small high street is pretty unbelievable really that's brilliant and I guess it means that each of those stores has to make sure that they're pricing themselves competitively against the yep. other as well which is even better if you're the person yeah. buying the stuff I'd love to see more of these things pop up you know yeah. so many have but I just think you know if we can all buy our oats and our grains and things not in packaging and stuff because it's just unbelievable oh the, the waste and again that's just something else that you become so much more conscious of in a boat I'm sure you've probably found the same just mm. the you know just everything comes in a bloody packet and it's so hard to avoid it it's really really difficult and it's really frustrating when you try to do the good thing and get the alternatives that don't and then they cost you loads more money and you've got then a really difficult decision to make because you're like I know it's really important to look after the environment and do the right thing but I've also got to think about my bank account and my family it's so difficult yeah and there's also the whole thing about you know bins as well like on the boat I mean I've got a regular waste bin and then I've got like a box where I put all of my recycling and Mm. really the recycling bin needs to be much bigger but I don't really have space Mm. for this so that Mm. that box just kind of like exists outside of a cupboard and things Mm. and you know luckily at my at my boyfriend's flat we've got the the normal bin the recycling and then even compost as well and that's just like and they're really strict on it. And I think it's just brilliant to see that everyone here is putting mm. all of their food waste straight into compost. And that mm-hmm. is just like, you know, also the bin lasts forever. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I, actually, I've got a question for you on this. I yeah. don't know whether this is naughty and I'm not saying that we do this. <laughs> Exclusive. Where does a boater put their food waste? Like where is the best place for that to go? Yeah, I put it in the bin, but I also have the same question. What what is the best option? Because I would like to be able to compost it. Mm. You know, maybe, I don't know, but maybe some people just put it out on in the greenery in the towpath. I'm not sure. Well, that's what I was wondering. Or if you like dig a little hole and put it in there, or what about putting it in the canal if it's like wouldn't the ducks and the fish eat it? Well, yeah, and I have seen a lot of people when they finish eating, sometimes I've been at a barbecue with other boaters, and when they finish eating, they just scrape it into the canal. And uh, and yeah, you get a lot I'm, of weird yeah, looks from people when you, yeah, you get a lot of weird looks from people yeah. when you do it. But, you know, if I've just finished my lunch or something and I've got a bit of bread left over, I'll chuck it in or whatever. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, it, it feels wrong, yeah. but it's, it must be better. It sort of feels more natural, doesn't it? But I don't know whether there's something I'm missing here. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it actually means that there's loads of weird gases being produced in the water or something. I'm not quite sure. Could be. I don't know. There was a boat uh, when we were in lockdown and everyone stayed still. We got to know some of the boaters, obviously at a distance, but everyone was just kind of looking out for each other. And um, she would always flick her dog poo into the, canal water which I kind of thought "Mm, not really sure I'm that hot on that idea because there's people that canoe along the canal and stuff but then I was like well maybe it's more natural and we never did it but then someone did say to us it's really bad actually apparently doing that because it does release some kind of it like creates some kind of horrible gases or toxins because you like mixed it in the water or something like that Mm. so I don't know maybe it's not that clear cut when it comes to that kind of thing 
yeah i'm not sure i'd be going straight in with um with no. waste no but yeah but where do we sit on banana skins i'm just not sure well i know <gasps> it's it's a minefield isn't it yeah i feel like i need to I need Get to, to speak to someone who's an expert in this, yeah. But we're just yeah. we're just thinking about now actually getting a compost loop. That's the next thing. Are you? Wow! It's yeah. so many people have moved to compost loos recent in you know recent years. Yeah, I think people seem to be quite pleased with them nowadays, don't they? I've not seen any complaints. I think everyone really thinks they're much better. I don't have an Elsan. Do Do you have a? What do you have a? Yeah, I was going to ask what you had because I saw a picture of your loo on Instagram and I couldn't figure out what it was. Is that a pump out? It is a pump out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we've got pump out as well. Yeah, it's super convenient for me because obviously I am in a marina yeah. and there's actually quite a lot of marinas around where I am. So, yeah. um, you know, I've lived in two and they've both had the pump out machine. Mm. So that's been absolutely fine. I think if I was doing the cassette loo thing, I think I would rather have the compost. <laughs> Yeah, well, this is what we're trying to decide because being continuous cruises and having pump out does, you know, it's a little bit more hassle because you've just got to plan in like, where are we going? Yeah. And do we pass a pump out? So we've also got a little cassette loo, which is like the porta potty sort of ones as a backup. Yeah. Because, you know, if the pump out gets full and you're not anywhere yeah. near a pump out station, you're kind of yeah. screwed. Um, but that's really annoying having two toilets in this tiny boat bathroom. Mm. Um, so yeah. that's why we're just thinking, do we go for a, like a proper cassette loo or do we just go for a compost loo? Yeah. But then going back to what we were saying about what you do with that waste, like I've seen people say that, you know, with a normal, if you're in like a tiny house or something and you had a compost loo, what you would do is you go and put that on your compost heap. Yeah. But a lot of people in boats say that they dispose of the... Uh, solid waste. The solid waste. There we go. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, just in the bins. Yeah. Apparently so, that's fine. That's what I've been told as well. Yeah, so that's apparently what people are doing. But there's yeah. got to be there's got to be a better solution. Maybe that's something CRT should bring us composting bins. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's it. You're right. It should be covered in our. So life. many people are going that way now with the toilets, yeah. and and we all have food waste, and maybe that's yeah. uh, that's what. We yeah, that's do. true. They need a bit more of an um, environmental arm of their organisation. Yeah, or charity. Yeah the charity isn't it yeah um so you're in a marina and you've been in a marina before that so are you officially a liverboard in your marina because this is a thing we've recently come it's, it's a weird game isn't it where you you can't be a liverboard and like actually have a yeah. permanent mooring yeah it is there's a real um sticky subject or like a tricky thing to talk about because basically mm -hmm. you can either be a resident which is often double the price or you can be a leisure mora mm -hmm. and uh, and the benefit of of um you know my boyfriend lives nearby before that my my parents don't live too far away and so i pay council tax at george's flat now right and so when i um when i moved into this marina they asked me for proof of my name on my on a council tax bill mm. to prove that I had an address. And so this is where I send all my posts to and things like that. Yeah. And um, and they have proof that I pay council tax somewhere. It is awkward. Uh, the rules at my marina is you can be there 28 days of the month on a leisure mooring, but you have to spend one night or two nights away from your mm. boat. And that is the rule. 
Mm. They're not so hot on on checking it because I mm. know a lot of people, you know, are there pretty much all the time. Mm. Mm. Um, but especially in lockdown as well, if you were a leisure mora, you weren't allowed at your boat. So mm-hmm. hence why I've been at George's flat this whole time, really. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because we we've just started looking, as I say, for permanent moorings, and we there's a few kind of um, like boating community settlements or permanent moorings, basically, but they're waterside ones that we yeah. were interested in. And I phoned one of them the other day. So this spot, I won't say where it is. It's absolutely lovely, and we were really keen on it. It's absolutely 100% blatantly got liverboards staying there. Yeah, there's but no it's doubt. It's a leisure about only. Yeah. yeah, but when I rang them up immediately, he was like, "Oh, are you a liverboard?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "No, sorry, we don't take liverboards." <laughs> so, yeah. and from what we keep hearing, we need to like play this kind of play the game. I think. We yeah, you basically have to just like pretend, or like yeah. you know, make make it seem that you have another address. Like I know some people in my marina, they own a flat which they rent out, mm-hmm. and so that is their address, their permanent yeah. address you know, even though they're blatantly not living there. Um, mm. But it is, it is like a weird game. The marinas know, the le- you know, they all know yeah. that everyone is there all the time. But yeah. it's it's not actually them. It's actually council tax. It's is the it? council. It's the council. You're only allowed so many residential moorers in your marina. Mm-hmm. They only have space. So it will only be like 20% or something can be residential and they're not allowed yeah. to take more than that. So even though they know that people are there, they keep it shush yeah. and we keep it shush and, and, that's, yeah. and that's what it's like but yeah I think it's funny because I, I was really conscious about mentioning it on the podcast you know I say I live on a boat mm-hmm. you know and it is like yeah yeah but I have an address yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't come at me don't come at me um but yeah so but I, I have been pretty good with always making sure that I'm not there every single night of the month and that is convenient because yeah. my boyfriend lives not far away and my parents don't live far away either so yeah I think if you're a family it's yeah. it's much harder you know friends of mine they've recently just said that they they switched to residential mooring because it was very obvious that they were living there they have a cat mm. they have two cars that are constantly there that's so. exactly it and I don't want because my partner was kind of like well look we're just gonna have to say we're not liverboards yeah and I was like I just don't know if I can handle that stress it's so obvious that we are I just yeah. can't cope with being that awkward in my own home <laughs> I know, I know. Some people are so shameless about it as well. Mm. It's just like, they, you know, I'm much more cautious of it. And uh, I still think that as soon as I put these podcasts out, the CRT are going to be on my back or <laughs> something. <laughs> well, edit out whatever you need to of this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, okay. Well, you've probably got to go and do a school run in a second. Yeah, I have. So uh, I think we can wrap it up here. But this has been this has been brilliant. I've really enjoyed this chat. I've really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. So do you want to tell everyone where they can find you online? You've got a couple of Instagrams you can let them know about? Yeah. So um, for my kind of more boaty personal Instagram account, it's wild underscore and underscore freedom. And for my work Instagram account, it's Karis Hughes underscore career coaching. Um, and my website is Karis Hughes coaching. That's brilliant. Okay, great. Well, this is, as I say, this has been fantastic. So uh, I'll speak to you soon. Cool. Awesome. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Narrowboat Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please head to iTunes to subscribe and leave a review. 
Check out the show notes to find links to anything we've mentioned, including where to find me and my guest on social media. If you'd like to tell your story in the show, you can send an email to narrowboat.podcast at gmail.com. Next time, I am joined by Lumpy from Narrowboat Natterings. He and his partner obtained their boat a few weeks before lockdown. We'll be talking about his experience so far and some of the problems they've encountered already, so keep an eye out for that. But for now, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.